Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Greetings. You've landed at the VUC, IP Communications and VoIP Community. Thanks Simwood.com for their support. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from OnSIP.com. You can go to Git.com for a URL people can click to call you. We've been privileged over the last five years to be using the best conference bridge on the planet. Yes, ZipDX.com, full-color, full-featured, full-HD conference bridge. Our website, VUC.x, hosted by Bluehost.com. And our worldwide local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Okay, thank you, Michael. And uh, thanks to uh, Tim for uh, the suggestion of today's uh, topic, which is moving the web to HTTPS. We got Dan Applequist with us for the first time. Dan, welcome to the conference. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. It's great to see you. And you have a setting back. You're in London, right? I'm in London, yeah. Uh, and the sun is, which never sets over the uh, British Empire, apparently is doing just that. Or is that Japan? Uh, anyway, first thing is, since you're first timer here, um, love to hear a little bit about how you got into technology and especially into the technology you're in, if you don't mind. A couple of sentences is good. Or sure. Longer. I'll um, uh, uh, give you the short version. The um, uh, So um, I... Uh, was uh, I was an early kind of entrant into the into the web space. Um, I was uh, I helped to start a company. This was in around uh, '94 uh, when the web was just kind of starting out to um, to take uh, um, to, that that was in the kind of burgeoning area of web content. When, I mean, um, our claim to fame we put the journal Nature online, um, uh, and so we were working with scientific technical publications, that kind of thing, and that kind of led to a whole. Dot com ended up in New York working for the street.com and relaunching them. Then I came to the UK to launch the uh, UK offshoot of the SOM, which was the street.co.uk, which we launched, but unfortunately we kind of got caught up in the backwash of the .com, uh, .com bus. So I ended up over here, uh, and what was happening over here at the time, and this was sort of 2002. 2001, 2002 timeframe was there was a revolution going on in mobile, um, which was not happening at that time in the States at all. Um, uh, so I uh, became part of the team uh, in Vodafone that launched the Vodafone Live in the UK. Um, and, uh, and since then, I've been involved in a lot of efforts. Uh, I was working for Vodafone for about 10 years and in 2000, moved over to Telefonica uh, with, the, with the launch of Telefonica Digital. Um, and in both Vodafone and... Um, Telefonica, I've been involved uh, with related to uh, kind of the convergence between the the web and and uh, and mobile uh, platforms, um, particularly focusing on web standards and how telcos are active in web standards. So I've been active in W3C since, uh, which is the World Wide Web Consortium, um, headed up by Tim Berners in uh, since uh, 2004 timeframe, and I'm currently. Um, 
working in the team in Telefonica that is uh, with Mozilla on the Firefox OS project, which is like uh, the, the realization of the idea of a web-based phone OS. Um, and the other half of my job, I'm, so, I, I, so I kind of do developer advocacy and general advocacy around that uh, product uh, within Telefonica. And as the other half of my job, I'm working in standard space, and I'm co-chairing with Tim uh, the uh, something called the TAG, which is the uh, technical architecture group within W3C, which kind of plays a steering role uh, when it comes to web standards, when it comes to how W3C interacts with other global standard particular ITF. So um, that's uh, kind of the context under, under which I'm, uh, I'm, I'm here today. And we're really going to be talking about one similar to the presentation you did, what, a few weeks ago, I guess, on moving the web to HTTPS. A lot has been uh, talked about on that. And recently, I think maybe some more publicity, uh, which is Google saying, I don't even know if they still maintain this, but they're saying that they were going to upgrade the ratings of sites that are using uh, TLS. Still true, by the way, you think? Um, or does it I, matter? I, I think... And so I can't speak for Google. Sure. I know that they have been moving on a number of fronts to um, uh, and encourage the adoption of TLS, of HTTPS, um, from uh, website providers. Um, I will say that there, there have been a number of, there have been a number of um, trends in the industry that are pushing us generally towards the, pushing the web community uh, towards the adoption of HTTPS. Um, I think you saw a number of social networks going in this direction a few years ago, and that was in some degree a response to the um, to what was happening with easily available tools that, where people were snooping uh, users' credentials clear on public Wi-Fi networks in particular, which are, which are not encrypted generally, um, which it's very easy to snoop the HTTP traffic if it's not encrypted, um, to take those credentials and log in and use them to, to log in and impersonate other users because, of course, that the, the whole way that we do authentication on the web and basis using cookies very much in, enables that, right? So, um, so that was kind of maybe one of the first things that moved people towards this. And then, then we started to see more awareness of, uh, of government snooping, of course. And um, last February, I hosted in this office uh, a workshop, a workshop between IETF, IAB, and the W3C, um, uh, which was called STRINT, uh, for strengthening them. That uh, workshop was very much aimed at uh, trying to answer the question, what can we do as technologists in the standards space and internet protocols, in particular web protocols, um, against pervasive monitoring? And I guess in the context of what in the context of that the context of that workshop was really looking at pervasive the idea of pervasive monitoring sp splitting off from other types of um, more directed surveillance uh, and uh, took took the approach that per pervasive monitoring is an attack um, and that was uh, that was based on a on a kind of a, a internet draft uh, that was circulated prior to the conference or to to the workshop. Um, and so uh, one out of that workshop was a call for um, stronger TLS, uh, more adoption of TLS by more websites, um, and easier for websites to adopt HTTPS. Because right now uh, the there is a cost involved. There's a lot of infrastructure issues. There's a lot. It's it's uh, just a matter of flipping a switch. There's a lot of configuration that website uh, providers need to do. 
there's still a lot of uh, challenges, especially when it comes to third-party content advertising that have not been ironed out yet. So, that, so, so that's been one whole area which has also been pushing people towards HTTPS. There are two additional things I wanted to mention. One of them was the adoption of, um, uh, sorry, the, um, the move in the web platform to include more so-called powerful. So uh, we're using a powerful web feature right now in terms of uh, uh, the web, the web browser's ability to go grab the uh, phone sound or the camera image, and that's becoming more ubiquitous with, with the, uh, mm-hmm. with the uh, rise of HD, uh, sorry, uh, WebRTC-based tools. Um, space, we're also working on web APIs to go in and access your phone book to send a text message or receive a text message um, to um, access other types of uh, APIs such as, uh, you know, the um, orientation sensor, that kind of thing. Other uh, Location, obviously, has been an early one that, that uh, is pre- um, impacting. And so the thinking goes that the more of that information, assuming that it's flowing back to a content provider to a server, the more that that information is encrypted, um, the lower, the smaller the surface area of attack for grabbing it. Yeah. Can we get one thing straight, though? Your ISP, uh, metadata now, uh, encrypted or not, there's a couple of people, a couple of uh, points where w- your destination is still in the clear, right? In other words, knows every site you visit. Yes, and that's, that's something true. that people do need to know because, I mean, if you're visiting Porn R Us, it, it ain't the HTTPS that's going to hide that. And, what, and also but, DNS. But in most cases, your ISP does not care. No, I'm not saying they do. Yeah. I'm just saying that you are. It's not that you're completely shielded from everything, and, uh, as and you well know. I just, that I make very clear when yeah. I talk about this. I mean. I think that that raises a whole separate issue, which is that uh, we need more media part of web users or, yeah. or about um, what exactly web privacy means, what it means when users are being tracked, what it means when you're exposing about yourself, um, what pr- things like private browsing mode afford you and what they don't afford you, when you might want to use a tool like Tor or I2P, which are ways of um, obfuscating further your, uh, your, your connection. Um, you know th- that kind of thing. Um, I really want to call on. I really want to call on Dan York because he's eating an apple, but I won't. Uh, but I wanted to. I wanted to get him in here, uh, uh, Dan uh, Applequist, on um, uh, the issues of DNS. Just while we were talking about that exception, the fact that. Uh, just, 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 if, if I could just, if I could just make one more sure. comment, I think that the the that is kind of um, making a, uh, me go out and, and talk about this now a little bit more is the fact that in the tag uh, we've just uh, published as a finding and that the tag uh, that's how the tag works we publish findings which are intended to be influential documents when it comes to web standards uh, this finding which I'm pasting into the chat which is called um, securing the web and that's uh, that finding is uh, is talking about how we're the web to HTTPS and also talking about a number of the challenges that it, that exist and, and some of the misconceptions. Um, and it's it's important to note that that finding is by Mark Nottingham, who is the chair, as well as being in the tag, he's a, he's a chair of the HTTP2 working group within IETF. And H2 is another driver of moving people towards HTTPS because um, HTTP2 uh, I won't go into all the details, but it, it contains it, it, it brings a lot of performance uh, uh, improvements over HTTP 1.1, which is the ubiquitous version of HTTP that we're all using. Um, in particular, with regard to times, 
Um, and web developers are crazy for, for web performance these days. And every, well, between Google Chrome, uh, Mozilla Firefox, and Microsoft Internet Explorer, all three of those browsers have announced that they will support HTTP2 only in the encrypted mode. Hmm. Uh, is a, yes, that's right, Dan. We, yeah, we did um, uh, issue that uh, tag finding in, in um, intentionally to, to complement the IAB uh, statement on, on Internet confidentiality as well. But just, just, so, so just, just, uh, I just wanted to mention this, mm -hmm. this element of HTTP2, which is yet another driver that's, that's uh, pushing websites to adopt uh, HTTPS. Okay, now that Dan York has finished his Apple, um, it's no fun to call on him. But the question, Dan, was really what I was saying about your ISP knowing um, what um, sites you visit or whatever. Uh, it's the same with DNS. Whoever you, I mean, Google, for example, you use Google DNS. They know everything about what you're doing on the web. I don't, they don't have the content, right? So you guys at the Internet Society are uh, working on things regarding that with the DNS, correct? Well, so yeah. Hi, hi, Daniel. I'm another another Dan here with the Dan Show. The uh, <laughs> so just to be clear, the task force, the ITF, is working on a number of different ways to make the internet more secure and encrypt things. And Daniel already mentioned the work going on in the HDB <clears throat> to make HDB 2.0 and make that more secure. And I put a link in notes here, which I guess we can put out to the show. We should put all these notes that are in the chat out yeah. onto this page or something. Mm -hmm. But back in November, the uh, the Internet Ar Architecture Board, which is a portion of the IETF in a way that doesn't really matter for this conversation, but basically issued a statement saying that, you know, we need to have encryption should be the norm for all communication that happens across the Internet. Um, you know, and so they, they all designers to design for confidential operation by default and to do that. So, you know, the statement Daniel referenced, the finding here from the tag of the W3C is, you know, very much in alignment for the HTTP protocol and for the mechanism that the web uses, which is where the W3C works. You know, this is how we're going to go and do that. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's superb to see that. Thank you all about that. Uh, on the DNS side, yeah, Randy, you're right. DNS queries, DNS pieces can be seen by the DNS, whoever's providing the DNS server. So he is providing your DNS server. They, they do that. Um, the other piece and what you're talking about there with DNSSEC, you know, obviously we're looking at <clears throat> before you go to a website, before you can DPS, you have to connect to that website. There is an opportunity there for an attacker to go and, and use DNS to redirect you to another website that, for, you know, has a different site. It might even give you a TLS certificate, but it's not the right one. So things like DNSSEC are looking at how do you secure the DNS layer so that you can be sure right server to then engage in the TLS, the HTTPS interaction. So that's an, it's another layer, but I'm more interested right now, I think, really to hear what Daniel's saying about some of the work happening here on the TLS. You're absolutely right, though. DNS is another place where people can see where you're going. Right, and uh, Dan A., Daniel, um, do, do you want to show any of the slides? Because you could. Well, I mean, I kind of talked through um, the uh, content of, of some of them already. Well, I only ask because they exist, but they're not necessary at all. I mean, I can actually point, I can actually add the link to my slides into the chat as well. Good point. Uh, that URL that I, right. that I posted. Um, and um, I think that the, um, what's in the slides is really just some framing uh, for, for this. So in particular, some, some of the statements from that, um, and that IETF draft that preceded the Strint workshop. Um, and uh, some of the... Uh, so this slide deck was uh, 
that that I'm pointing to is uh, was was kind of aimed at web developers, right? And um, and trying to address the normal concern that web developers have when you when you come at them with a message like, "Hey, you've got to move your website to HTTPS," right? And so I went and I had I, I've done talks and you know uh, to to the technical teams at at places like the Guardian and um, Tumblr, right? And it's interesting because the concern those two. Uh, organizations actually were quite uh, similar, um, um, and both uh, are organizations that are being used um, in as uh, political um, for political uh, sorry uh, organization for for, um, for 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 I don't know how to say it, you know for for um, for for political um, uh, communication for for communities sometimes um, sensitive especially in con- in countries that we are. Um, used to talking about uh, being um, ones that monitor. Of course, every country monitors internet traffic, right? So uh, it's it's a little disingenuous to point out certain countries as being worse than others. But um, it's 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 something that is on the minds of these uh, technical teams. They want to make sure that uh, that they can provide a safe environment for people to come in and read, uh, participate in communities um, that may be uh, activist communities that may be. Um, uh, you know, organizing political protest, or uh, and uh, and so that's one of the drivers that is um, that's pushing those guys. But they have enormous challenges because um, these are advertising-driven businesses, right? And a lot of the challenges when it comes to moving a website to HTTPS are in the advertising space in terms of how um, how uh, how to bring outside content, content yeah. is brought into a website. How and and. And and how the how advertising is is implemented. So so when people in the web community about moving to HTTPS, very often the thing that they hear is, uh, "You want me to make less money, right?" And uh, and that's a challenge. So uh, and so that that's one of the challenges that web developers see. And then the the others are are kind of in the in the uh, uh, in in the categories of HTTPS being set up. Um, and as I said, some there are some um, initiatives underway to help. Uh, uh, ameliorate this in particular the EFF Let's Encrypt initiative, which is uh, going to uh, have a new uh, certificate authority with free certificates and a kind of push button um, certificate management protocol uh, <clears throat> called ACME, which is quite. Um, and then uh, other uh, things like, uh, let's see, PLS being slow. So this is uh, something that there's a hot debate on uh, in terms of is it, is it slower? Um, there's a whole website set up called istlsfastyet.com. URL into the chat as well. Um, the summary is yes, it's fast, but uh, under certain circumstances, right? You really need to be with the latest patches, with the latest versions, um, and then uh, a- and a lot of the speed issues have been optimized away. But there's still a big debate uh, within the medium, uh, within the the web community in general about. How fast, uh, or how much the the speed issues have been optimized away. So those those are some of the other that I kind of talked through in the deck. But um, I, I'm curious what the other questions are, what the other concerns are from more from the networking, more from the network side of things, and from the um, governance side. Actually, actually, here's a good one. Uh, Michael's showing the slides, and as it happens, um, I don't think the feature X is broken. Yeah, usually mixed content. We did you did cover that. Yeah, yeah. What's yeah, the solution exactly. to mixed content? By the way, uh, is it better organization? That would be one. Certificate is only for. A general, well, 
you can get wild card certificates, but they're expensive right now. So you need good planning. I think that's probably logical. Yeah, uh, it's more difficult to you know embed a video uh, arbitrarily, for instance, or um, uh, embed some kind of mixed content, or or it, it makes it, it makes in general it makes a website a bit more. Um, uh, yeah, you need to you need to plan things more uh, uh, more in a more laborious way. Maybe uh, I don't know. Uh, let me see. Uh, so then, the, the, one of the other things that that I that I that is in the deck is this HTTPS offers a false sense of security, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of like, uh, you know, a weird um, logical fallacy, I think, <laughs> in terms of, um, you know, it's it's uh, kind of it it does HTTPS when it's working. Yes, it only um, protects your information between the browser and the end server. It doesn't uh, protect you against um, attacks on the service you're using. It it um, it is vulnerable to the uh, to any um, ability in the in the CA system. Um, but uh, again, coming back to the whole ethos that we had at the Strint workshop, it's about minimizing and about mitigating the risk. Um, I think we all realize that if you try to aim at completely eliminating the ability of, um, uh, you know, eliminating uh, the possibility of uh, of any kind of surveillance, um, first of all, it's not clear exactly that that's a good thing from from a social perspective. Um, but also, it's just not it's not it's not possible. It, um, but it, but aiming at a, a kind of mitigating the threat of pervasive monitoring minim- and using the rubric of um, data minimization um, to minimize the amount of um, compromising data that's flying that that's uh, easily accessible and being transmitted in the clear. I think that's the kind of um, push that we're and, and the kind of um, philosophy behind this push. Is there a relationship between the talk uh, about? Uh, forbidding encryption by law in the UK and every place else, uh, and every place else, the UK, and then Obama, President Obama said something about it. I mean, is, it, is there a conflict there? Because if encryption, or maybe that, maybe uh, this kind of encryption on the web is not. I don't know anything about that because that's a pretty shocking uh, statement that was made by the Prime Minister the other day. So I pasted well, into the chat. I mean, let me preface this by saying these are my sure. and they do not reflect. Any opinion of my employer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or or indeed, you know, anybody besides mm-hmm. myself. Um, but um, I, I think um, the uh, Open Rights Group post on this, uh, which kind of in a, a very dispassionate way um, picks apart the question of what exactly is David, is David Cameron talking about? Um, <laughs> Did he know? Is quite uh, is quite a good one. And Dan, uh, Dan also the other Dan posted a link, and I read his article already. It's great. So thank yeah. you, Dan, for that. Well, I, I think that uh, I think you're right on in your <laughs> slides at the end when you talk about uh, I'm just looking through your slides now at the end and the action and the policy and the, you say technical community could do it better to explain pervasive monitoring related issues to policymakers and the public. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, and you're absolutely right. You know, I, I work for the Internet Society. I'm in the technology side of our organization. Our public policy people are looking at that exact point of how do they how do they help in our own way? And I mean, you know, we're only one organization. Every organization needs a way to help, uh, you know, where we can explain these issues that are out there. And I wrote the post that I put a link in there, too. I, I think there is this fundamental challenge we have, right, of, of how, <clears throat> you know, how do we want how do we balance those legitimate security needs that governments may have? or threats against people or threats against things with you know, our own desire to have 
privacy from that intrusiveness, um, both as people, as organizations, as companies, as all of that. And uh, I have a magic answer, I think. And, you know, I want everything encrypted, but at the same time, I do, you know, I do understand that the government's governments may, you know, want to do that. As I said in my post, you know, if daughter was kidnapped or something, I'd want every possible resource to go to be utilized to find that. You know, right. so you want that kind of Hollywood vision of there being like a big control with a huge number of monitors and and uh, Keith or Sutherland comes in and, and he says, you know, uh, you know, trace all phone calls now uh, about, you know, such and such and it's come up and and the right. facts you know, <laughs> you know sure I, I love that. You know, when it it hits me personally. Yes. <laughs> you know, but when it personally, I don't want that happening, right? You know, it's, yeah. it's that where do you balance it? And that is a question I think that we as a community, we have to help, you know, bring that whole surface and understand the trade-offs. And at some point we have to help, especially on those policymaker sides, help them understand, you know, the, the, the David Cameron black, there shall be no encryption of, you know, any of any kind of form may not exactly fit. Yeah. Well, I mean, in fact, what he said was that I'm not in any way defending his position, by the way, but I mean, what he did say, he did qualify his statement by saying um, that he, uh, something around um, that when order should uh, right. be possible to unencrypt uh, or to get it at some forms of, or get it forms of communication in an unencrypted way. And all thing is he's talking about the current um, regime of, of legal intercept, which is quite uh, you know, well established in the regulatory landscape. Um, I think right. the question is, and the question that, and again, coming back to the strength workshop, the question is, you know, is that the same as as much as possible of the connections or, or communication over the internet to be unencrypted and data warehousing all of that, uh, so that at some future point, right. eventually you could go back to uh, to that data warehouse and pick out some communication. And I would argue, and I'm not a lawyer or a regulator, but I would argue that that's overreach. That you know, we we um, that the technical community has a role in in uh, you know that that the, the rise of encryption helps to mitigate a threat. That it, it should be more difficult to um, to uh, for the for the authority to surveil people than that. And absolutely, and, and the, what you're talking about, you know, the, the pervasive monitoring, you know, certainly the NSA gets a lot of the headlines, but it's equally being done by many other and many non-agency, you know, corporations and others, et cetera, who are amassing their own giant databases. So, you know, yes, I think the, the need for encrypted encryption everywhere in particular is, um, is rather critical in so many ways. Yeah. You know, and, and you're right. You know, the statements that came out were more about, you know, in this era of, you know, WhatsApp or Viber or any of these VoIP applications that we often talk about here in the VUC, you know, they're completely different and complete. And there's no way that the governments can be, can get into those kind of communications. And and that's really where he was saying, you know, the legal framework we intercept doesn't apply to these, and we think it should. Yeah. So, so I've got, I've got a. I mean, there's a there's a difficult technical point which I think we've utterly failed to get over to um, policymakers, and I and I suspect that. I mean, I I have some cynical feeling about why that may be, but um, but you know, essentially, what they're saying is that he doesn't want peer-to-peer -peer encryption. He's happy with centralized encryption because the keys are then held by somebody who you can serve a subpoena on, mm -hmm. um, or your secretary can write a warrant and. And come in and you know apply legal intercept to an organisation like you know O2 Telefonica or or in Facebook or whatever. 
But if you look at the way that Facebook has just done video, they've set up video calls using WebRTC that are peer-to-peer. -peer. And at no point do they have the key that enable that, that are, that are part of that transaction. So however much you, you put a subpoena on, on, on Facebook with the current video implement, you don't have the keys to hand over. Um, and so I think we're in, in, in interesting ground here because we've never said, in the past, we've never said individual to individual it's, it's, you know, that if two individuals are communicating in a secret code, then the home secretary is, a, is, is, is able to generate the key somehow, should always be able to generate the key. You have to deposit your secret message protocol with, you know. So there's some, there's, I suppose what I'm trying to say is that the technology is, and the mathematics somewhat advanced over um, the legal intercept thought process. I, think, I don't think the thought process actually covers things like, perfect forward secrecy and and, and peer-to-peer. And I think that that's it, it not got that, I mean, I haven't got that over particularly well now, so it's not it's not easy to get over, but we've, as as technologists, we've totally failed to get that message over to the policymakers that the math round is genuinely different because of peer-to-peer. -peer. Yeah, and I think... And, and, and what worries me, I mean, just personally, what worries me is is I don't want to see my peer-to-peer -peer start made illegal as out of the backwash of this. Sure. Well, I mean, I think one of the points of the open rights group piece was, um, uh, um, you know, that's it's kind of unenforceable. Yeah. Okay. Um, they could put you out of business, but I mean, it's an unenforceable. I mean, somebody else in it uh, will uh, will just write that application, and people will be able will will be using it. And there's no there's no way that you can that you can uh, the the horse has left the the um, stable barn. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and but that's actually no longer true. I mean, that's that's quite interesting in that in that one of the responses from the particularly the IETF, but I think to a lesser extent the W3C, one of the responses to the pervasive encryption, one of the first actions was for the the web to a, to an extent the servers to enable perfect forward secrecy um, uh, crypto as their preferred algorithms, and the consequence of that, if you do have a data a data warehouse full of the encrypted traffic that went past last month, then you can't decrypt it even if you compromise the certificate authority, because that encryption is not um, is not derived from the certificate in the way that it used to be. So again, that's a that's a that's a change that's happened in the last few well or so, and I don't think that's reflected up into the policy making at all. I don't think that you know I think people very few people understand that change. I think. You can do you can do that live if you if you manage if you know if you and I are having about to have a conversation and we're being we're both being surveilled or one of us is being surveilled then we can with the right court order my ISP's connivance I could be man in the middle all right and they could listen to that conversation but the difference is if they didn't know they were interested. And, we, and then a month later, they decide that they're interested. They can't decrypt that conversation, despite having captured all the bytes for it. That's my understanding of it. I'm not a cryptographer, but I think of the, of the distinction. So in a, in a way, that enables the, 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 you know, the warrant thing, allows the, the, the warrant to be served and you know, legal intercept to be applied. But it, it effectively pre prevents the retrospective, hey, well, fishing trip for the last six months, let's go digging. <laughs> I think James. So Dan, we, we hijacked your session. Sorry. No, and then James is James has a way to get back to it. James, if he unmutes himself, unmute yourself. No, 
I'll just read what he said. There we go. Yeah, ah, there we go. Thank you. Um, great stuff. Can, but can we just move on to something a, uh, a little different? Um, we mentioned um, the Let's Encrypt initiative, which is one of which I think is one of the most exciting things to come out of the community in a little while. Um, Dan or Dan or Dan, can you just very quickly ask what Let's Encrypt is all about, and then go on to say uh, what impact you think it's going to have on on the world? So who's going to um, well, Which I can, Dan? <laughs> I, I can start off. I mean, my uh, my understanding of the Let's Encrypt initiative is to make it. I mean, it's basically aimed at making it a website providers, uh, web service providers to um, uh, to both provision certificates, to get certificates, to configure it, um, to make sure those certificates are up to date. There's a huge problem with certificates going out of date and people not uh, updating them, and then uh, you know and. and uh, the, a lot of the problems with that have been identified around um, that by website, uh, by web, by the web community, I would say, are around of HTTPS, you know, has to do with the, the cost, but also the um, uh, the configuration and the cost, not only in terms of the um, cost themselves, but the cost of the manpower to uh, kind of uh, uh, administer, to keep in, to keep. To, to configure, to um, uh, so the so the EFF initiative is trying to lower that cost. First of all, by providing a, a free C, you know a free uh, free C, free certificates and under a new C. Also, they're working on this protocol, um, as I said, uh, which is the um, um, now forgetting what the name of the protocol is, but it's a it's a protocol to enable uh, sorry the ACME protocol uh, uh, to enable. Uh, uh, Certificates to be automatically automatically to uh, uh, provisioned inside the, uh, the servers um, and uh, and to try and attack some of these issues basically and make it a lot easier for website providers to uh, um, and I pasted a link into the into the chat on that one as well it's the, the kind of an EFF I, the other Dan might have more information on it <laughs> zilch yeah, finished eating his. Um, no, I was just going to say I, I haven't been directly involved in that. It's certainly an interesting initiative. It, it looks cool. I mean, anything that can help make more uh, and more HTTPS out there is, to me, a good thing. Yeah, and, and from a from a personal sort of corporate perspective, I know how much pain and expense of just just trying to keep all the, all of our certificates uh, within all of our domains up to date. It's a real struggle, and and the pain that's involved out of date um, is enormous. So yeah. we had a, we, it's funny we, we we spent an awful lot of time at the Strint workshop last year um, agonizing about this issue about date certificates and um, invalid certificates and the fact that people by and large web users have been trained to ignore certificates. Right, and that's in and of itself a risk, right? So you have um, um, a lot of uh, people when they use their internal internet app. The uh, the corporate doesn't feel that they need to have uh, um, uh, you know valid certificates or or provision those certificates per provision provision certs on the users' PCs correctly. So uh, users end up getting these invalid cert certificates, and they're just told by their their IT departments to ignore them. Um, there was a great uh, Kind of story that was told by one of the participants in the Strint workshop uh, about this was a major technology that um, uh, the person from this company who was present at the workshop was trying to get to his um, company's health uh, provider's website. And in logging into this health uh, insurance uh, website, uh, he got a certificate warning and he called up the um, 
customer service for the health insurance company. And they said, no, no, sir, that's okay. That's totally expected. That's how you know it's the right website, <laughs> <laughs> which I really love. I really love. And, and he had to uh, get onto the phone. He had to eventually get the CTO of the health insurance talking to the head of HR for his company. Um, and as he said at the workshop, that is not a scalable solution for fixing uh, the broken on, on the internet, right? So one of the things that came up in that workshop, which I'm really keen on, is the idea of a, a so-called flag day. You know, the problem with invalid cert warnings is that uh, one browser uh, actually stopped accepting invalid certs, then everybody would just move to another browser, right? So every browser needs to, um, it's a so-called flag day where every browser would, would, would announce that on this day, invalid certs will no longer work and you have to fix your certs, right? Um, that actually fixed the invalid cert uh, problem, but we, but uh, that w it would take a lot of engineering. On it's like you know something like the Y two K problem, maybe. <laughs> well, right, that users have been conditioned that they just click right through. Yeah, right. They just go right on through. Um, Those are the like, same same users that accept the Java and uh, Jeeves. Uh, <laughs> um, here's a, an auxiliary question, though. So um, your grandma is using Explorer 7 or 9 or something. It still presents a problem, doesn't it? Because if, uh, if TLS comes, if, if new versions of uh, TLS, or you know, if it advances, um, certain browsers aren't maintained anymore, right? Isn't this a problem? Well, I mean, I think the general way of thinking in the web community is shifting. Every browser needs to automatically install updates without user, um, without, you know, in, in a secure way that yeah. does not call for you, for you to click OK. Yeah. And that this is the only way that we can have a secure web in the, in the face of things like uh, uh, OpenSSL bugs and Heartbleed and, mm -hmm. right, you, you need a, a, a way for browsers to uh, preemptively install updates. And uh, and so so the major browsers, including IE, now work this way. Of course, we will still have a problem with uh, corporate um, networks and we'll still have a problem with legacy um, browsers. But we have, there is hope because we've seen the number of uh, Internet Explorer 6 browsers trailing off recently and people have stopped, finally stopped talking about supporting Internet Explorer 6, which is a really good, uh, uh, so I think there's hope, there's hope for, for that. But I think in general, the the philosophy for that and also for, I think this also extends into the internet to a lot of other areas, is that uh, we need software that securely and automatically updates itself. Absolutely, absolutely. If, 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 you know, if, if we want to have this, um, if if we want to have this world of encrypted of use of HTTPS. And by the way, Internet of Things. Ask whoever knows about this stuff. Tim might be a good uh, person to ask about this. But um, is is TLS a default? Go ahead, Dan. Dan, why? <laughs> well, before we go down the IoT trail, okay. I just want to. I think the operational concerns, Dan, Dan, Dan A, just <laughs> are, are really a critical one in that case. And I think. What's interesting is that there's a number of other approaches that people are looking at to help with this scenario around using the correct certificates or even looking at ways to provide some validate, some level of validation um, for those self-signed certs or others. You know, you know from I'm very active within DNSSEC and the, the Dane protocol that people are looking at as a way to put a certificate or a fingerprint of a certificate into DNS, sign it with the other way to be able to validate that, that the certificate is real. There's other people who are working on things with certificate pinning 
there's a mechanism to be able to go and, and basically pin in the browser the, the certificate that you want to be seeing for a given site. Uh, there's other folks working on a project called Certificate Transparency, which is basically logging changes in certificate that a browser that would be could then be checking what those you know, you know, if, if this has been an expired certificate, so there's a number of different avenues that people are coming at to try to make this infrastructure more secure. So as we look at how do we encrypt everything, you know, there are holes, but we're working on fixing them in different ways. Okay. Now, so my question was, it's a pretty kind of a yes or no, actually. Um, the, all the people, uh, you know, I wish we had Chris Matthew here, but for people, there's a zillion companies now working in the IoT future. Uh, in fact, I heard an interesting story about a phone in Asia that is specifically centered around that whole idea. Very interesting about that someday. But is TLS going to be, is it considered, uh, should it be default is what I'm saying, I guess. Because it would be so easy to hack into a lot of this stuff. The IoT stuff, the devices, for example, unmute yourself, Tim. The devices don't have much brains, right? Right. And and, and so thing is an absolute classic example. Yeah. Um, it has absolutely no security whatsoever. Um, I mean, the only security it has is the fact that you have to be within, um, you know, 50 meters and be able to reach it with an access point. That is its sum total of its security. And it's a movable webcam um, that's been in my house all week. But so, um, so I know the default position at the moment with the Internet of Things is absolutely and completely wide open in a lot of cases. Now, I mean, in this, their argument is that actually up until recently you couldn't pilot it unless you could see it. Um, so you were kind of physically in control of it that way. So it's a kind of ownership relation, um, which is fair enough, I think. But, um, but if you start looking at things that are remotely controlled, you know, your garage opener is, is now controllable over the Internet or your whatever. Um, yeah, those things absolutely have to be secured. Uh, but in somewhat dissenting from the, the two Dan's, I certificate uh, hierarchy is the way you solve that. I think it simply doesn't scale. It's it's struggled with a billion web browsers, web users, or half a billion, whatever the number is. Um, the idea that it would cope with 50 billion um, IoT endpoints is I, I just don't see it. I don't think it'll manage that. It'll be done differently. If if you have like a so I have a Nest smoke alarm in my house, right? Um, and that um, uh, has been an interest. Um, <laughs> You know, it's uh, when you're talking about that kind of device that connects back to its home cloud, um, and uh, that's all it needs to do, right? It's got a kind of service. There is one service which is reaching down into your home over your internet connection and controlling and maintaining an update. By the way, it does update its own software. It's gone through a couple of update update cycles. Um, then that's one thing. Maybe you don't have to worry about that so long as you have uh, some assurance of, of encryption um, between those devices and, and and their home mothership. But what in a world where that we want to move into where you have this kind of um, weave of devices, uh, internet-connected devices around you that you want to be able to discover and potentially manipulate or get information out of whenever you walk into a room or, um, you know, how, how are we going to manage that in a secure way? It feels a lot like... Um, well, I, well, I think we can give or, you leveraging web technologies. Is is it? Or, although it's it's you know it's not it's not a foregone conclusion. Maybe because that's the that's the technology stack I'm familiar with. I think it's an interesting problem, and I've been working on it. And I know James is. I know exactly what James is about well, to say, and I preempt him. <laughs> go on, have a go. 
exactly. Now, here's a way, and you should have brought this up, Dan. We've got millions, hundreds of them out there on, on the ground with uh, very secure cryptographic key variables um, in these things. And it's a mechanism that works really well. So the question of how do you administer it? Well, here's one way. And uh, you know what? We can generate some revenue out of that in a world where the game... Yeah, now you're putting the telcos in the place of, of, of banks as trust providers. Well, and, and, and they haven't really been trustworthy to date with our information. So I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about that, to be yeah, honest, James. But, but it's the, the telcos have got the mechanism to do this. They've got the trust mechanisms. And in the back end, you've got your HSS with uh, all the diameter bits and pieces that you need to do things with these. Um, the technology to stop me from getting spam calls for a decade, but they haven't done it because it doesn't well, suit their commercial interest. So I don't, I'm afraid I trust them, you know, down in the stitches. It's only because the people in the big MNOs are reasonably brain dead. That's why. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> All, <None> right. Taken. <laughs> All right. Enough. Enough backbiting, gentlemen. Let's. Um, we should probably move to a conclusion here, only because uh, we have uh, we've used up all our uh, uplink time. No, all kidding aside, uh, we, we can always continue in the adult-only version. Well, first of all, we have a little funny demo. If we have battery, I don't know, Tim. Demo. Demo. We did, no, but um, getting back to um, Dan, when I first uh, spoke to you, you wanted uh, Twitter addresses. You thought that they were the best way to communicate because it's true that the. W3 is um, maybe too general or just not focused. So let's get that out there, and um, I'll just ask you to do it instead of me trying to f- shuffle through all the... Your, uh, what was the Twitter feed that talks about the stuff that you're doing with relation to what we're talking about? That's so a tag the, the, group, I guess. The W3C tag. W3C t- tag. W-A-G right. is the... <laughs> Ooh. Excuse me. Is the um, is the the Twitter address where you know where where we're where we're generally uh, issuing announcements about new work on uh, in, that that are new work that's that's happening in the tag. Um, in general, W3C is it to go to find out more general stuff about what's going on in W3C. Um, I'm uh, personally uh, at Torgo, and so you can always find out what I'm thinking about there. Um, I think that. You know, as far as uh, this goes, I pasted a link to the um, 3C draft to the to the tag uh, okay. finding. Um, there's um, that has links to uh, the uh, and and I'll paste a link into the uh, uh, for the sorry for the W3C technical architecture group homepage. Um, that's a um, uh, that has links to our to our mailing list and uh, to our GitHub, where a lot of our work is going on in, in GitHub these days. Um, but in, in general, uh, if people would like to make comments on that draft, um, they're certainly welcome to join our mailing list and, and make comments there um, as well. James wants to know if you need a beard in order to decode traffic in W3C forums. You weren't supposed to say that, Randy. Oh, no? This is supposed uh, to be secret on IRC now? You, you don't need a beard, but you may need some uh, uh, asbestos uh, jackets. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. <laughs> I can imagine that. Thanks. Actually, I, I want to say one more thing, which is to, to thank the two Dans for their efforts at the high levels. Because it does filter down into the the uh, specific standards committees. So you know, if the top level sets a um, 
sets a guideline, then you know the, the the subcommittees who are dealing with specific protocols have to take into account. And you know, I've watched that the effect of that in particularly in WRTC um, recently. And you know, kind of, well, okay, we have to have strong encryption. How are we going to do it? Has been the standpoint because that has been the line that came from. And I think that's, um, you know, it makes it a lot easier for the technologists to deliver on that if there's a clear lead from the top. So I want to thank you both for, like, you know, setting those things out. Here, here. Okay, I'm just setting up a, um, a quick. Uh, I'll just say too that all these have been posted in the chat for people listening are over on the Google Plus page for this. And I know Randy said you're also going to put up put them on the blog post too. So if yeah. you've been listening and you want to, there are places you can find them. Absolutely. We'll try to put them everywhere where it makes sense. There's a, there's a VUC page. There's a whole bunch of things in the blog post. We have so many channels, it's impossible to delete. Exactly. And, and uh, none of them are HTTPS, unfortunately. So what can I tell you? Ah, yeah, on Wire, we're TLS, I believe. Right? Well, on Google Plus page is all. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And, and all HTTP2 if you're using the latest version of Chrome. Uh-huh. The one that broke uh, Jitsi. Okay, with that, uh, Dan Ab- Dan A. It was great to have you with us, and I Thank hope you'll you. come it's back. It's an honor to be asked. Hope you'll come back. Thanks, Tim, uh, for asking. And Tim is going to be going. And thank you, Dan York. Of course, you're always welcome. Uh, Tim is going to tell me if there's battery. I just posted a link uh, publicly, and we're going to try to do this little drone thing. So, Tim, is this going to work or not? I also need to f- try to find the. Uh, and if you're not watching, go to live.vuc.me. And, yeah, uh, looks like the gateway's down. If, ah, well, yeah, well, it, he has to turn it on, but there may not be any battery. He's going to tell us that in a second. There's no hurry. The satellite link is, you know, it's, on uh, it's, on it's up. up. Okay. It's up. It's up. I in won't fact, even say. the easiest way, uh, Randy, is if you thinking. get in there and then share the feed. I'm going to do that as soon as I up my history. Okay, so. While we're doing this, I'll say to Daniel uh, Applequist, thank you very much, too, for coming here and uh, sharing all this info about the W3C tag. It's great to learn what the organization's doing, and thank you. Keep up that great work there. Well, thanks. Um, uh, I'm happy to answer any more questions. Or, you know, We're trying to, um, to make the tag uh, a little bit more visible, um, and uh, you know, we, just had a new elect- we, we just had an election. The tag is, is partially an elect- elected body people. Uh, joining us in particular, Yan Zhu from Yahoo, who has also been active in the EFF. So I think that we're going to uh, be seeing a lot more ag on this topic, actually, in, in the coming um, year. Excellent. Okay, cool. Yeah, thank you, uh, everybody. For, we're going to do a very brief demo here. I need to re- refresh the page. Sorry, that's me controlling it at the moment. Uh, we're, okay. I'm not there oh, yet. Yeah. Going so this, him, you want to say a word about the... Uh, the page here, I guess. Let's see. Yeah, so so this is a um, a thing we did for Fest, which was um, an event in December, actually. But they extended the deadline for the hackathon till uh, today. And the challenge. Oh, I'm losing battery. You're going to have to talk amongst yourselves. Oh no. Um, yeah, you can drive the thing. I my um, yeah. Wait a minute, actually. Okay. Well, he's. There we go. Might that might bring. Okay. I think Tim and his device, I guess. So James is driving right now. 
I'm, what's this? An award over here, Tim? <laughs> I think we're going to have to go and investigate that award, aren't we? And take it. This is, would be more impressive if somebody from Australia was driving or uh, the United States. You're not that. There we are. Well, I am. I'm down in the sunny south, and Tim is in the frozen north. So where we can focus. There is no focus. Pioneer Award. Who won that, Tim? Where's Tim? Should we go and attack Tim? I'm He's typing. Over okay. Typing. Right. Let's seek and destroy Tim. Forwards! Yeah! Oh, my. Oh, my God, oh whoa, it. whoa. I think he did that by hand. All right. Let's, I'm going to turn right. Turn right. Tim. He disappeared. Oh, oh, oh. We're getting bad. Ah, let's attack the phone. We can pretend we're cats. Oh. We're going to the curtain. Curtain, sometimes. curtain works well. Oh, take that, you phone. I'm getting uh, some... Oh, how did that oh, happen? There. What happened there? A laser. Here we go. What we're missing is um, a Sound Ben effects? Clang missile launcher mounted on it with crosshairs. So hunting yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I'm not seeing the... Oh, I'm under the curtain almost. No. Yeah, you come back. Go backwards. All right, back. Thank you. It's reaching to my chair. Oh, sorry. That, that's you, you, you guys are really not very good drivers. We no. can't see in back. There's no rear view mirror. That's true. <laughs> go and have a look at some of the objects that Tim. Yeah, let's go. Carefully let's go bump into the car. around the floor. I like ramming this car. There we go. Let's bring it and up to six. Ah, boom. So, so the, as I was explaining before, the battery ran out on this yeah. tablet. Um, <laughs> this was a, a challenge just to, to remote control a parrot drone over WebRTC. And um, a tip of the hat, huge tip of the hat to um, to the MeTeco guy we, we integrated the, the drone SDK to. Um, and uh, and most of the work actually was done by Neil Stratford. Um, I just, uh, as host, host <laughs> for this uh, this this thing and, and it did a little bit of hacking. Um so the thing sits on a on a Linux server, little Linux server with a which associates with the drone, and then the the network um, oh. is extended out from that. So how many of you are controlling this thing and are trying to beat up my? Let's go around it. Uh, I think it's just James and me for now. Yeah, we're fighting, fighting for oh. control. So weirdly, but to the way we oh. built this page, it actually works for several people at once. Um, so this is actually all using TLS then, if it is. No. Um, if it's WebRT. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So this is actually TLS. I don't know if it's doing perfect forward secrecy, but the video is, once it leaves my house, the video is encrypted. Uh, it's unencrypted and the, um, and the uh, device and the, um, my, my gateway. Oh. But um, from there on, it's encrypted. So you don't want to do it in a... Uh, not particularly, no. <laughs> but, I mean, it should be encrypted on the drone as well, really. Um, you'd hope, but it isn't. Cool. Well, that's, that's fun to see. It is. And it'd be even more fun with a missile launcher. <laughs> yeah, well, somehow, at some point over the, over the last few days, we, we broke a button. Um, in, theory, in theory, the jump works, but in practice, it doesn't. Or other thoughts, perhaps a taser, but that's tending to Ken Rice. Well, we should probably wrap up this hour, though, eh, Randy? Yeah. Uh, it's not really an hour. It's an hour and six minutes. But I think we're going to do that with this message from Allison. Look to the sky. Keep watching the skies. Thanks very much, everybody. Hey, that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP at VUC.me on the web. Thanks to Simwood.com, who can turn you as a developer into a telco. 
Our hosted PBX is provided by OnSIP.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from Own.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, see you next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.